Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing with you the origin story of Zen Stoicism. So this week is a special week. It is the week of my 30th birthday, at least at the time that I'm recording this. And I wanted to make this episode specifically, or this series of episodes, to talk about where Zen Stoicism came from, a little bit about my story and what inspired me to bring these two philosophies together to create unshakable inner peace. And I'll begin the story day, not not with my story, but almost like a pre-story to my story. And one of my favorite stories that has always resonated with me and struck an emotional chord is the story of the prodigal son. Now, to preface this, I'm not in any way religious, but the prodigal son is a story, it's a parable from the Bible. And this story always highlights the way that we learn the most important lessons in our life. Now, I'd heard this story before, but it was told once by Guy Ritchie, who is a filmmaker. He told it on the Joe Rogan experience. He was being interviewed by Joe Rogan, and he was talking about the essence of narrative and human thought and how these things come together. And he told the story of the prodigal son, and I'll I'll never forget it because it riveted me, but it also became a big foundational piece of my philosophy and how I look at everything and how I look at challenges and mistakes. And it's actually very similar to my story and how Zen Stoicism came to be. You haven't heard before? If you haven't heard it, we'll get right into it. So there are two sons, an older son and a younger son with their father. And the older son was always very obedient to his father, always doing the right things, listening to his father, never questioning any of his advice, wisdom, or what he believed was right. Whereas the younger son was a little bit more rebellious. And the younger son wanted his inheritance early. He wanted to go spend his inheritance, so he asked his father to give him his inheritance. And reluctantly, his father gave him the riches that were his inheritance, and he went and traveled to a distant land and began spending very extravagantly and living a life that was very rambunctious and spontaneous and adventurous and doing all kinds of things and getting into all kinds of trouble, just really enjoying and going out and seeing what the world is all about. Now, over time, he began to dwindle his inheritance. He began to burn through it. And... He did so much so that he was poor at one point because he had ran out completely. And he ended up having to be a swineherd, which is basically somebody who feeds food to pigs. And this was his job. And he got to the point where he wasn't even able to really sustain himself on that work. So word got around that he wanted to return home. Now the father heard about this. He heard that his son wanted to return home and that would most likely be coming home very soon. And so the father rejoiced. He got very excited and he said, let's kill a fattened calf in the field and make a feast for my son's return. And for the first time ever, the older son spoke back to his father. And he said, what are you doing? My younger brother went out. He disobeyed you. He dishonored you. And you're going to just take him back like that? What's, like, what's this all about? I've, I've never talked back to you. I've always obeyed you. I've always done everything that you told me to do. 
And yet here you're just going to take back my younger brother like it's nothing. And he said, yes, he did do all those things. But we need to rejoice and be grateful for his return and welcome him back home. The older brother didn't understand this and was, in essence, pushed off to the side. Finally, the younger son returned, and he said to his father, Dad, will you take me back? And the father said, You were lost, and now you're found. Now that's the end of the story. Now the perspective that Guy Ritchie took was very interesting because the essence of this story is that you are the father. You're enough. You've always been enough. The older son is the part of you that's always trying to fit in, the part of you that's trying to be validated by the world around you by doing all the right things. Whereas the younger son is that wild, feral entity within you, that rebellious entity that just wants to get out and see what the world is all about, see it for yourself. Not just be told right and wrong, but go out and learn what is right and wrong. And in the younger son's recklessness, in his attempt to escape himself, he realized that all the things that he was buying and the experiences that he, he was having, they weren't his. They were borrowed and they were very temporary and transient. And he realized that in his attempt to escape himself, he had to return to himself. He almost had to, as Guy Ritchie put it, prostitute himself out to the world and try to validate himself with all these experiences and material riches and in doing so, he realized that none of these things could define him or validate him. And thus, through his recklessness, his mistakes, his regretful experiences, he was able to actually respect and value himself. And thus, he was able to return to himself. The older son is the part of us that never really understands how to accept the mistakes that we've made in life. It's the part of us that hangs on to the regrets and we all have that part of us inside. That's our ego. That's the part of us that's measuring the individual experience and assessing whether we're doing it right or wrong. And if we stay in that part of ourselves, we'll never be able to let these things go and never realize that it is our mistakes that make us wise. It is the regrets that we have, the things that stimulate a deep emotion typically unpleasant emotion that shows us how to value ourselves. And it's very difficult for us to value ourselves until we've made these mistakes, until we've made these poor decisions. And this story of the prodigal son is very similar to my story. Now, it didn't happen exactly like that, but there are definitely some parallels. And so I'll get into the origins of Zen Stoicism because I waited to my birthday to do this episode because my birthday is a very significant time of the year for me, not just because it's my birthday, which is, uh, seems pretty obvious, but the day before my birthday, August 21st, is also the anniversary of my mother's death. And my mom passing away when I was a kid was the most pivotal event of my life, the most emotional event of my life, obviously. And it happened the day right before my seventh birthday. So I remember my mom and I, we always had a great relationship when I was a kid from everything that I can remember. And she had gotten sick when I was about four years old. She got diagnosed with cancer. Now, as a four-year-old, I didn't really know what was going on. 
it wasn't really explained to me in a way that I could understand how severe her sickness was. But I knew that she was going to the hospital quite often and always in and out of doctor's offices. And yet, at the same time, I never realized how sick she actually was because she always kind of showed up in a very different way for me, always having a smile on her face, always being strong for me. And for this, of course, I'm very grateful and appreciative. But through this whole experience, I remember the, uh, the summer before I turned seven years old, 1998, she was, uh, she was in the hospital for most of the time. And I remember I'd gone to see her probably about a week or so before my birthday. And the last time we had talked, I told her that I was going to bring her a piece of birthday cake after my party that was coming up the following weekend. And right before I left the hospital, I remember somebody picking me up and because I couldn't really reach, <laughs> but somebody picking me up so that I can give my mother a kiss on the forehead. And I gave her a kiss on the forehead before I left and then left the hospital, went home. Now, a week goes by and my seventh birthday comes up. And I remember I had this pool party over at my aunt's house. And it was so much fun. I had all my friends there. There wasn't a care in the world. And we were just having a great time. And I had this euphoria. And then in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to go see my mom later today. And I remember my dad picking me up after the party was over. And we were going to go bring this piece of cake to my mom. So we get in the car. And I was a pretty intuitive seven-year-old. So I realized that, you know, a few minutes into the drive that we weren't going the usual way to the hospital. We were going somewhere else. But I didn't really think anything of it. And then my dad brought me to this park. Uh, For those of you who live in Florida or from Florida, he brought me to Quiet Waters Park. And he brought me to Quiet Waters. And we went, we sat down. And I remember, you know, it was a little later in the afternoon, probably like 5 Five or so, so the, you know the sun was was setting, and there was this orange glow to the sky. And I remember as he sat me down, he started to tell me. He said, "Your mom has gone to visit your grandfather." Now, to put into context what my response is going to be or was at this moment, what I will say is that my grandfather had passed away two years earlier. My great grandfather. And he was buried in Venezuela. And my mom, a year before that, had gone to do a naturopathic treatment in Mexico. So I thought to myself, and then I voiced it to my dad, I said, oh, is she going to do another one of those treatments in, you know, one of the countries in Latin America? And my dad looked at me, his face, the expression in his face just dropped. And he's like, no. That's not what I mean. And in that moment, I knew what had happened. And I didn't want to accept it. And it absolutely crushed me. I remember going from this euphoria of my birthday party to feeling like the entire world was crashing down on me. And that I didn't know what was going on. I had, in this moment, it's like I learned in a very real way that the world is unsafe and that the people that you love 
people that you care about, the things that you love, the experiences that you love can be taken from you in a flash. And it's not within your control. And there's not a lot you can do about it because it's not your path. And so I realized this, you know, all in the moment. And I remember my dad and I, we were crying. And in those moments where you're just so uncertain and, you know, everything seems like it's falling apart and collapsing all over you, you start asking yourself questions faster than you can possibly even answer them, which just stresses you out more. And we were asking these out loud. Well, I was asking them to my dad. I'm, you know, I was asking him, I said, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to, you know, go on kind of thing? And then I asked him this next question. I said, you know, who's going to cook for us? Because at the time, my dad didn't really cook. He knew how to make like sandwiches, pasta, and eggs. <laughs> or at least that's all he, he had made at that point in time. And he's like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And I remembered in that moment that I had learned how to make hot dogs on the stove that summer. And so I looked at him and my expression just totally changed. I had this smile go across my face and I said, yeah, and I can make hot dogs. And I remember the moment that I said I can make hot dogs, my dad started laughing and like all the worry just left his face. And I remember in that moment, even though it was a devastating time, we both knew that we were going to be okay, that we were going to figure this out. And in that moment, I learned why I'm here. And I didn't know it at the time, but I learned in that moment why I'm on this earth. And it was to basically be able to change the perspective at any moment, no matter how bad things can get. And this is the foundation, the cornerstone of why I pursue a philosophy of Zen Buddhism and Stoic philosophy in a hybrid way to create unshakable inner peace. It's because I was not prepared in that moment for what was happening. I had no idea what to do. My dad didn't know what to do. The people around us didn't really know how to comfort us. Or, you know, Nobody was ever prepared for something like this, this level of emotional intensity. And so I realized that in that moment, I was the gardener in the war. And I knew within myself, I didn't want to be there again. And it happened many more times in my life where I was completely unprepared. So years later, when I had the opportunity to begin listening to some personal development books, I remember I was working in my grandfather's factory, my, my mom's father, and I was working there. I was living in Canada. And while I was working in that factory, I remember absolutely hating the job. <laughs> like I was invited there. I had my path made or my path was set kind of thing. You know, I had this, this great job with a very clear path for growth and promotion and maybe eventually one day running the company. At least that's what my grandfather wanted. And I remember within a few weeks, I realized like I had hated this job. I hated the work. I didn't like the environment. Nothing about it really called to me. And I felt like I made this huge mistake by moving there. And my saving grace was this iPod that I had. I had an iPod Nano. It's like a green one. So this tells you how far back this was. <laughs> but I was listening to my iPod and I had one book on there. And the book was The Four Agreements. And The Four Agreements was a book that I ended up listening to like 25 times over the course of that summer. And it was ingrained in me. I just the knowledge of it. And one, you know, one of the agreements 
is to be impeccable with your word. And at the time, I remember I would really beat myself up a lot in my own head and I'd be self-deprecating, you know, in a very mean and cruel way to myself internally. And to be impeccable with your word basically means not to use your word against yourself or others. And so I had this ingrained in me and it really helped to start to free myself on a personal emotional level. And then I thought to myself, okay, you know, this is all really great. And, you know, hopefully one day I can, I can help somebody with this. And so one day, uh, my best friend and I, who I met in university, him and I were hanging out one night and him and I used to confide in each other a lot. We used to vent to each other a lot and express, you know, our frustrations and our stresses. And one day he was venting to me in a particularly intense way. And this friend of mine, he was born with a mild case of cerebral palsy. So you wouldn't really know it by talking to him face to face. But if you saw him walk, you could see that his left leg, the muscles pulled in a little bit, which caused him to limp a little bit while he walked. And I remember one night he was just saying to me over and over again, he was like, this left leg, this is my curse. You know, this is, this is my curse. This is, you know, how I, this is how I am. And I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life. This is my curse. And he kept saying, this is my curse. This is my curse. And immediately that lesson from the four agreements of being impeccable with your word as like a starting point to personal freedom made me think like, I can't let him continue on like this. Like he's suffering unnecessarily. He's in so much pain. So I remember asking him this question where I said, what if your left leg isn't your curse? What if it's your gift? What if it makes you who you are? And I remember his perspective shift and in, it, it, there was a shift in such an incredible way. And he had this breakthrough. And that breakthrough led to him, you know, putting on 35 pounds of muscle, being able to squat with a barbell and two plates uh, and a plate on each side where he couldn't do a bodyweight squat at the time. He ended up starting his, his own business and making over a million dollars in the first six months. Like his whole life turned around because of this question. And my pursuit of whatever that was that created that moment came from not wanting to be the gardener in the war, not wanting to be stuck in these situations. So I had pursued this and I remember in that moment, I asked myself, what happened there? Like what, what happened in that conversation? What was that? How can I do that for more people? Cause at the time I had no idea what a life coach was or that this was even a profession you could do for somebody in this pursuit of to figure out what that was. I learned that it was some form of coaching that I was doing. So I did some digging and I ended up dropping out of school to pursue the craft of coaching. And I went to the biggest company in the world that does this, which was the Tony Robbins company. And I took the money that I had from school. I put it into the seminars. I got myself a coach. I got all the audio programs. I went in on this whole journey and I remember after a year and a half of coaching, my coach saw how hard I was working on learning this craft and she asked me for my resume so that she could recommend me to the coaching division. And I was blown away because I was very, very young to be a coach. And I think I was 23 years old at the time or 24. And I remember I got into the interview process, which is a you know, three-month rigorous interview process slash training and it was it was very intense and I was the youngest one there but with hard work and commitment and dedication I ended up passing the interview and getting hired 
And I worked there for three years full time, having uh, 95 clients at a time. Most of the time, my roster was always full. And I remember that while I was coaching there was the same time that I started diving into Zen and Stoicism. And I dove into Zen and Stoicism because while I was coaching 95 different people and using these strategies that we had been taught, I couldn't hear myself think. I had all these people's problems and thoughts and emotions kind of bouncing around in my head, feeling so responsible for them, so responsible for their results, and I needed some way to calm my mind. So I reached for Zen to learn how to meditate, to become present. And then I started reading Stoicism to better think through my problems and be more logical and rational with how I would think and to better focus on what I could control. And Zen and Stoicism, it helped eliminate my anxiety and my stress significantly. And inevitably, I started weaving concepts of Zen and concepts of Stoicism into my coaching. And I was working hard. I was very passionate. I was doing what I loved. I was helping people to become that warrior in the garden. I was basically giving everybody what I always wanted for myself. And I remember over the course of that year, in 2017, I ended up getting voted the number one coach based on customer survey results. And I had no idea that I was even close to anything like that. And it was out of 120 coaches all over the world. And it blew me away because I had no idea that I was making that much progress or that I was having this level of impact. And it made me think to myself, there is something here with Zen and Stoicism. And this is something that I need to, I need to take and I need to run with it and see where it goes. So about a year after that, I ended up resigning from the company and going full-time into Zen Stoic. And it was a wild ride. I had, was very, very inexperienced when it came to drumming up my own business and building a, a brand and building a steady coaching practice. But through a lot of trial and error, a lot of <laughs> suffering <laughs> and, and anxiety, I was able to turn the corner and make Zen Stoic something viable for myself. But as I was going through this path, I remember really making a lot of poor decisions around business, not really knowing what I was doing. And around the same time, I had received an inheritance from my mother, you know, when I was in my 20s. And it was a pretty significant amount of money. But as I was, you know, as I got this inheritance, I had all this money come into my life that I had never seen an amount of money like that. I never had that much material abundance. And Unlike the prodigal son, I wasn't trying to spend it on extravagant things, but instead I was always trying to kind of one up, you know, the universe, trying to get, get ahead of everybody around me. And I would invest my money in things that I thought were going to grow. I would invest my money in learning. I would invest my money in coaches. And I was just so committed to getting better and to getting ahead and to almost bypassing the journey and trying to rush it and be expedient with myself getting there, thinking that I was going to multiply this money. And over the course of five years, through coaching and trying to get different coaches and become better at my craft and make these investments and do all kinds of traveling and things that were intended to fuel my growth, I ended up burning through almost all of my inheritance. And it blew me away because I thought that I was 
pursuing the right things. I thought I was going through a path of discipline. It wasn't about buying fancy things or living a lavish life, but I was trying to be expedient with my growth. I was living in a delusion, thinking that I had to be someone that I wasn't, thinking that I had to get ahead so that people would accept me and think that I was credible because I was only a 24-year-old coach at the time. And in burning through that inheritance, I carried so much shame and feelings of inadequacy and stupidity of myself, always comparing myself to the idea that somebody else would have done better with this and that I squandered it. And because of that, I'm stupid and I'm not going to amount to anything. And I had all these really dark thoughts. I wasn't being impeccable with my word like I had learned a decade ago. And I remember one day, the shame, the guilt, the feelings of regret and resentment built up so much that they came to a head. And I, I just asked myself straight out, I said, what did I learn from burning through that amount of money? What was the purpose of that event in my life? And there was a quietness in my mind when I asked that. And through that quietness emerged the philosophy of Zen Stoicism. I began to think to myself, what actually happened there? Like the prodigal son, I was attempting to escape myself, to use all these external experiences and things to validate who I was, to attempt to define myself. I was looking to the outside world to tell me who I was because I was afraid to find out. I was afraid to be the person to look within and decide for myself who I was. And instead of telling the world who I was, I was trying to get everything and everyone around me to do it for me. And the thing is, nobody can really tell you who you are. Nobody can give you that sense of validation except for yourself. So like the prodigal son, I had to lose things. I had to fail. I had to go through suffering and pain and feelings of inadequacy and stupidity and shame to get to the place where I was able to actually respect and value myself. It was through that delusion that gave meaning to living a life of intentionality, to give meaning and weight to the idea of having purity of mind, which is brought in by Zen. A lot of these decisions I always thought were coming from a good place, but the reality is I was in a place of delusion. I was trying to be expedient. I was trying to perform and show the world who I was or trying to project a certain image of myself so that people would think more of me. I was trying to control things. I was trying to control things that had nothing to do with my, con with my own sense of control or anything that was actually in my control. And I was resisting who I actually was. I was trying to hide myself from the world and instead trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And in losing all that stuff, in losing all the opportunities material possessions material wealth certain relationships i had to return to myself and like the prodigal son in that story i realize like the father that i'm enough and that i've always been enough and this goes for everyone 
who has gone through these experiences where you regret things, where you did things in a way that you didn't appreciate or that you even cringe at. If I look back on a lot of my decisions, I cringe at them. But the thing is, I haven't been able to talk about this for years. And I am finally able to talk about it because the emotional charge of the events no longer exists because I extracted the lessons and the wisdom that these very intense emotions were trying to tell me all along. And I realized that in burning through all of that, I was living a life of delusion. My intentions were the right thing on the surface. I knew how to say the right things to get myself into networks that maybe I didn't deserve to be in. I knew how to talk my way into things. But my intentions were coming from a place of delusion, not from a place that connected me to my humanity. And Zen Stoicism is a philosophy that is designed to connect a person to their own humanity because that is what creates unshakable inner peace. While I was succeeding and getting all these accolades and making money and fulfilling my dreams, what was happening at the same time is that even though on the outside I was being praised and I was doing so well, what nobody knew is that my bank account was dwindling, that I was burning through money. What nobody knew is that despite all the accolades that I had, I wasn't accepting myself. I felt like a fraud. I felt like I had this imposter syndrome, like I didn't deserve to be where I was. And maybe in some senses I didn't. But I remember everything that I was doing was coming from this place of delusion. Because Zen Stoicism is not about, are you living a virtuous life? Stoicism focuses on living a life of virtue by pursuing the four virtues, wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. The thing is, you can do and say all the right things on the outside. But the one thing that you can't hide from yourself are your intentions. And so Zen Stoicism is about you getting very present with your intentions and why you're doing things. Because to have unshakable inner peace begins with self-acceptance. To have self-acceptance, your intentions must be connecting you with your own human nature not in a place of delusion not in a place where you think that you're going to one-up the universe or one-up life or skip a few steps or skip the line so to speak so zen stoicism brings the presence of zen with the rational thinking of stoicism to be able to self-examine your character because to create that unshakable inner peace must have that self-acceptance and the self-acceptance comes from having your intentions in the right place and this week we are going to be getting into zen stoic philosophy and exactly what it is and zen stoic philosophy is based on what are called the four intentions of humanity and the four intentions of delusion and what i learned from burning through my inheritance what i learned from squandering the money from losing relationships, from feeling like a fraud, from feeling this excessive amount of shame, regret, and suffering was that my intentions were never in the right place. And there is a way to self-govern and self-examine 
so that the decisions that you make won't lead you into a place of unnecessary or excessive suffering. And it begins with these four intentions and four delusions. When your mind, when you have purity of mind, you are in the four intentions. When you have impurity of mind, you're in the four delusions. One, one or more of the four delusions. So that is why I went through that experience. And at the risk of glorifying my bad decisions, my poor decisions, what I realized is that if I would have multiplied my money, if I would have been successful with all the pursuits that I had, I wouldn't have learned any of this. In fact, maybe I would have been more lost. Because we don't learn when we get what we want. We learn when we strive for something. And we realize that we are aiming at the wrong thing. And when you're aiming at the wrong thing, it's coming from a place of delusion. What Zen Stoicism will give a person who practices it is that sense of unshakable inner peace. A sense that even if you don't get what you want, you will always, always be able to accept yourself and be in your center, even if the world is falling apart around you. So stay tuned this week, as we're going to be releasing some special edition episodes of exactly what Zen Stoicism is, the four intentions and the four delusions, and how you can use them to create unshakable inner peace in your life, to self-examine, to not create unnecessary or excessive suffering and regret in your life, but to instead come from a place of centeredness and inner peace. <laughs>